Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hey, this is Cleveland Brown, and you're listening to the About Last Night podcast. I guess your TV must be broken. Ha <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. You're bored. Hey, guys. Adam Ray for the About Last Night podcast. Happy Monday. It is ALN Classic Episode Week. Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, we're taking a week off, and uh, we're putting up a few episodes uh, of Brad and I's favorites. Um, today is uh, a guy you know from Bobby's World, from Gremlins, from Deal or No Deal, from America's Got Talent, from his stand-up comedy, from his personal appearances, from his being a comedy icon. Sat down with us for one of the funniest uh, 90 minutes we've ever done. I'm talking about the great Howie Mandel. Holy shit. The stories in this episode will blow your mind if you haven't heard them. Um, A lot of these old eps, you know, uh, we always got new listeners, so... uh, And it's tough with all the episodes to... To, to get through all of them. So we thought we'd post a few of our favorites and have you go back and, and re-enjoy or, uh, or get reintroduced. Um, or introduced. Reintroduced? Jesus Christ. You know sometimes when you're just like, talking is tough. Um, so enjoy this episode and, uh, and enjoy Thursday's episode too, which will be the great Jeff Garland. Um, tour dates. This weekend I'm in Austin, Texas at Cap City Comedy Club. Come out and see me, Austin, Cap City, Thursday. I'm sorry, Wednesday through Saturday, the 16th through the 19th of August. Tickets at AdamRayComedy.com. This weekend, Brad Williams, Saturday, Sunday, Ontario Improv. I'm sorry, and Friday. Brad will be there the 18th through the 20th. That's Friday through Sunday, Ontario Improv, Southern California. Go out and see your boy Brad, the 18th through the 20th of August, Ontario, California. Tickets at BradWilliamsComedy.com. About last night, podcast.com for Alan Merch. And uh, old episodes, we just got our mock-up of our new site, and that will be up uh, very shortly, so stay tuned for that. And make sure you subscribe on iTunes for, uh, for episodes, and rate and comment on the iTunes page. Helps us climb the charts, and email us at aboutlastnightpod at gmail.com. Your favorite moments, your highlights, where you get the show, why you got into it, uh, what you love about it, and we'll read some of those on air. And you'll have a chance to win some merch. All right, now that we got the merch out of the way, the tour dates, you know the Twitter handles and Instagram shit, motherfucker. So sit back, relax, and enjoy an ALN classic episode with the hilarious Howie Mandel. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to chat about it. Got a midget and a Jew, so why don't you sit down and listen to a dope podcast during lunch, dinner, or breakfast. It's about last night. How long have you had this spectacular warehouse here? Uh, this is uh, I've had this warehouse uh, for about a year now. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's spectacular. It's a warehouse. <laughs> but it's right in the heart of where it all happens. Yeah. The uh, Porn Valley, you mean? I'm in the heart <laughs> of it. You know, it's very funny because I was looking at a warehouse. For years, we had offices on the uh, lot at Universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, I, and and I wanted to have my own. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be renting offices at some. So, 
So I started looking. I thought the Valley, and I wanted to be in the Valley, and I thought I want to, but I want to be close to film. Mm-hmm. So what film is done in the Valley? Porn. Porn, right? So when I was looking at warehouses, because I had a lot to to do, a lot of them, a lot came with showers, a lot came with mattresses, a lot came oh, with God used you know, or but new? this was an actual warehouse. They were okay. actually manufacturing. So I took this and kind of gutted it and built. Now I want to know: Was did you bring in the ping pong table, or are porn stars big pong players? There was no porn in here, but the building next door yeah. is porn. Yeah, right. You know, so I thought you were about to say it's haunted, but maybe it is haunted by porn. <laughs> Porn haunt. <laughs> Has there been like a haunted porn? No, but there probably. Well, there, actually, there should the, be. There should, probably- should there be like ghost hunters? But instead, of that they just go to like old porn sets and be like, "If you can, Dick if hunters. you can hear us, give us a sign. Make some jism drop ghost- from the ceiling." Ghost hunters. <laughs> That's what would be. I think it's haunted in there. Yeah. yeah. Let's go in. You know, that that makes That's sense because when there's a haunted house yeah. and then they get out, you, when yeah. you see those movies. I, I don't really like horror movies because yeah. it's bullshit. Like, if you if you were scared, right. why would you go back in? Yeah. Right. Right? Yeah. But if you thought a vagina was haunted, <laughs> everybody would go back in. And then out and then in. Yeah. And then back in again. That's the power and of I that think product. I left my cat in there. Let me go back in. It's the power of pussy. Yeah, I mean, that, that that would be something to where when your friend is bragging about how he's had like a Maxim model or something, we you, you would kind of be able to look at him and be like, you ever have ghost pussy? Oh, my God. Doesn't wow. compare. Jesus. Doesn't compare. But I just, the only part of it, I don't mind the hauntings and the sounds coming out of there and the, 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 the creaking and that. It's the cobwebs. Creaking. You don't want cobwebs in there. You don't. No. You don't ever want cobwebs. <laughs> Not in If there. you take anything away from this podcast no, and Howie Mandel, dark you don't want Something co- is tickling your face. I don't think that's, whoa, did you hear that? That's, <laughs> let's go in deeper. Let's go in deeper. <laughs> see, this, uh, see, this is what I love about you, Howie. Is, is is you just kind of, and no matter what you're doing in your career, you're, you're, you've always been great at improv. You've always been able to just kind of go. And uh, like, I don't know that that's improvisation. <laughs> is that considered improv? Was that a bit? To <laughs> Brad, that was his ghost hunter bit. Oh, you uh, heard uh, it? Ghost the, the, the world famous ghost country bit. Yeah, for years. I saw it on. Thinking about it, I saw an old Carson clip where you were running <laughs> it on the show. Yeah, ghost country. And, but, uh, but, but I'm getting a reading. <laughs> You know what? That would be. I'm not a single guy, but I'm not married. But that would be. Yeah. I would actually use that as a pickup line. Sure. They find that if you believe you could talk to women, if mm-hmm. you, and you tell the women that you believe, what is it called when you're a possessed? Yes. Yeah. How does a spirit get into you? Yeah. Okay. Through your vagina. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to attach a little meter. Yeah. To the end of my penis. Yeah. And it's not, we're not fucking. No, no, no. Get that out of your head, Suzanne. No. no. Yeah. I'm ghost hunting. Ghost hunting. What I'm There's doing a difference is if you I would listen. I just want to get a reading. Yeah. I just want to get a reading. I'm going to put and, a crystal on the end sure of my And make sure that it's all clean in here. Yeah. And the whole family can move it. <laughs> this house is clear. Yes. Because I once met the, the Amityville whore. <laughs> The Amityville hor- not not horror. No, the Amityville, Amityville horror. Horror. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> because a family was once massacred in her vagina <laughs> years ago, and then another family moves in. Wait, and then and then so then the, the walls of the vagina just start talking like yes. get out like that. Nice. <laughs> Come in. <laughs> Come again. <laughs> nice. Wow. 
Wow. Wow. So that's imagine? nobody uh, does that. Is are there porn? There's got to be porn has parodied. uh, I feel like most everything because then I've seen sketches where they are are, you know doing parodies of parodies. Yeah. Um, I want to just say one thing because you are a master of voices. Now Brad just took a stab at a potential voice of the vagina in that scenario. (laughs) Right. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And uh, as a as a guy who does voices on the reg, um, do you think that would be the go to? Or, or do you have, if you were to do a voice of a vagina, <laughs> would, there, would, there, would there be some other take of We'd it? We like to ask the hard-hitting okay, questions yeah, on this yeah, podcast. Good. Good. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Where did that come from? It's, it's, it's got to come from like inside the pants or beneath the dress. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's got to be tight-lipped. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, enunciate. Hello. Pun, I mean, pun intended. T- yes. Tight-lipped. tight-lipped. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It sounds like an older Skeeter. <laughs> Ske- but it, Ske- the Skeeter is a good name for that. <laughs> oh. Did you see her Skeeter? Wow. <laughs> see it? Oh my God! I lived in it. You, you, yes. uh, 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 you wanted to have a Skeeter rather than an animal. <laughs> Muppet Babies is forever changed for me. I'm never gonna look at it. <laughs> Oh God! I mean, that, uh, my childhood is just taking a dramatic turn for I don't how, know the worst. How is entertaining? How did the uh, gig of Muppet Babies even uh, come to be? Was that were you already I well? Had one voice, you know, I do different voices. Yeah. but I got uh, hired to do. I did the uh, first. I, I did well. I did that voice, the Bobby voice. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I was choking on something. At a birthday party, and mm-hmm. when your voice is happening, you know, people say, How do you do that? And it's not like a falsetto where you try to talk high. Right. That's not what it is. But when I, when my throat was half closed, so something was halfway down my throat, and I okay. don't try this at home, but I was choking on something. Are we still, are, are we still talking up. about porn? We can get all segue into porn. Jesus, okay. Brad, okay. we're trying to transition. Sorry. You know when you take a balloon and you blow up a balloon and then you stretch the the nipple? Here yes, we go. yes. You stretch the nipple of the balloon and it squeezes out at a high note. Right. I was trying to get air out. I had something halfway down my throat. And I'm going, help me. Help me. I can't. Oh my That's God. the voice that was coming out. That was the voice. And people are laughing and I'm dying. <laughs> and then luckily it got dislodged and I live. But I thought to myself, this was an amazing, besides a near-death experience. Sure. I had an audience, mm-hmm. so I was trying to replicate How old were you that at that age? Home. Probably 11 or 12. So wow. that was maybe your first uh, recognition of like, oh, like you no, getting... Nobody really enjoyed me, but they were looking <laughs> and fascinated by the voice. I mean, I was just at the birthday party gotcha. probably, like, because it was a cousin. Right. Death you know? and, death and funny sounds. But then I learned to make that voice. I, I trained the muscles in my throat to tighten my throat, and I could yeah. squeeze the air through. I can do that voice when I have no voice when laryngitis, because it's only air. Right. I'm doing it with air. Oh, shit. You know, I'm just pushing air through. Like the top of a balloon when you stretch a balloon. Yeah. yeah, you know. So, um, and then, I, and then I would go to school, and in the back of the class, I could go help me, <laughs> and people would laugh. The teacher would catch me and go, "Howie, if you have something funny to say, yeah. tell the whole class to talk yeah. about that in my in yeah. my act." Yeah. But anyway, I started doing that voice, and when I came out here and did comedy in stand up comedy, I was doing that on stage, mm-hmm. the voice as a you know Be- a, a baby talking filthy, right? Because you didn't have like you didn't have the idea of Bobby's world. In your head, like that, or, or no, it yeah. was in my knee. <laughs> no, no, I didn't have any. I was just going to do stand up. My right. whole uh, career is an accident. You know, as I got dared to get up on stage to do stand up because in the mid seventies, you know, these comedy clubs were coming up. I'm from Toronto, Canada, and, mm-hmm. and the comedy club came up there. And was it 
Yuck Yucks back then? or It was Yuck, and it still is. Yeah. All right. Yes, it still is Yuck Yuck. So I went to, in the mid-70s when disco was all the rage. I was not into disco. I'm, I'm not a clubber. I don't mm-hmm. go dancing. I don't like dancing. I don't play poker. <laughs> I don't do sports. Right. Really boring. I'm a <laughs> and, and I mean, uh, we went because uh, I hadn't been to a live stand-up comedy show. Yeah, you know, I'd seen in Toronto Second City, mm-hmm. which was sketches, but I had not seen live stand-up beyond the Tonight Show. So I went, and it was fascinating to see somebody live, you know, riffing and telling jokes yeah. and saying things that seemed in the '70s, you know, pushing the envelope like I had never seen beyond the, you know, the language and what they were talking about. It was. Hysterical. Hysterical. It was electric. It was alive. And then at the end of the show, the uh, host got up and said, you know, Monday nights are amateur nights. And the people at the table that I said, you should go on. I went, oh, OK. So <laughs> I, I I showed up on that Monday. It's important to have those friends, by the way, to give you that little extra boost. Right. Because in the end of it, you know, of the friendship, because I, you could have went <laughs> because I didn't really plan on what I was going to do and what so was going to happen. You didn't have notes or anything like that. Or did you have any uh, sort of no, idea? I never did homework in school and there was no reason. I don't have a GED. I didn't, <laughs> so I went, OK, I'll show up yeah. because I, they said I'm funny. Right. And so I went up, and that was the beginning of my career. I mean, it was just the first time I heard a laugh was, you know, like a warm blanket. You know? <laughs> holy this shit. is it. This is, right. yeah, holy shit. Yeah, it's incredible. This is it. and, and still not an inkling of this could be a, a career. Right. So I would show up three, four times a week, and they were giving me spots, and I could do this voice. And, I, you know, I would uh, talk as a, in, in this baby voice, Bobby, but I would do talk filthy right. talk about filthy things so the juxtaposition of you know yeah you know the uh, filthiness in this voice by the way yeah, I, I feel like having that voice is 90 some percent of it because it's like it insert filthy thing yeah. because the voice is so spot on and believable as yeah. a yeah <laughs> like what kind of thing so would you have the baby <laughs> i mean i'm laughing i mean yeah it, and there's not even a joke there yeah, yeah. it's just to, to have this voice it's so innocent <laughs> <laughs> you know, so Mom, that, I used to get cereal. laughs, really easy laughs. But anyway, I I uh, I forget what the question was, well, but I'm going to continue the, the, to answer. the voice of Bobby. So you're doing oh, it on no, stage? No, no, no. It was the voice of Skeeter. Yeah. yeah. So, so so I started doing stand up when I came out here on vacation to Los Angeles on vacation. I went to the comedy store to see the the mecca right. of of comedy because this is what year then? Seventy eight, seventy seven, seventy eight. So who's going up at that point? Yeah, who's their guys? The um, MC is David Letterman. Holy shit! Uh, no, so n- pretty much nobody's. Nobody. Yeah, you just know, hacks. And, uh, <laughs> we're trying to get Dave on the podcast. Oh, okay. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so David Letterman, Billy Crystal, who was doing soap at the time, Robin Williams. I'd see Jeez. Rodney Dangerfield working out his Tonight Show sets. Yeah. In the other room. It was like really the mecca. Johnny Carson would stop in to work out his his sets for the. Uh, uh, just, uh, just like the Tonight Show monologues. No, Vegas. He was oh, okay. Doing, he was doing Vegas. I watched. Uh, I mean, I'm going to jump ahead when, yeah, I, when I made it out here, not like to to live. Not I hadn't made it. Mm-hmm. I would go every night. I watched uh, Richard Pryor go on every night and work out his set for live on the Sunset Strip. Oh my! Which God. kind that, of was that set the most um, moving, um, career changing time in my career because I saw what. It was like to saw the best. I did see the best, and he is certainly the best, and he was he is my inspiration. But the bravery in being able to get up on stage and work it out, yeah, right. 
you know, and you and see learn the process and listen and watch the process. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it was because just, up, up until that point, you were maybe not as fearless. Do you is it safe to say? Or, I didn't or, understand. Yeah. You know, everything was happenstance. It was by accident. You know, I went up and I acted goofy. You know, uh, if people remember me from the 70s and the early 80s, the truth is I got up on stage the first time unprepared. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, what I learned from that, uh, and and then I got really nervous because they went, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. There was a light in my face, and all right. these people, strangers, are looking at me, and I went, oh my god, oh oh, okay, 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 and I started doing, okay. and they started laughing at, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. all right, and then I went, what, 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 what are you laughing at? Yeah. And my act was really you kind of smack yourself on the head, nervous, yeah, yeah. neurotic, crazy Jew. energy, asking them what they were, and just and making weird noises and laughing, and it was just fear. It was a total fear but what i learned was the honesty of you know letting something die if it does die talking about the you know if people uh, see you struggling even Mm -hmm. if you're struggling and you admit you're struggling there's a relatability that kind of worked but anyway so i started doing these voices on stage and i was doing them at the tonight show and i went in and auditioned for uh muppet babies Mm -hmm. and that was the one voice i was doing so i did i did uh Skeeter. Yeah. Uh, did you audition no, for Jim Henson? I, I did see Jim Henson. I mean, man, Jim a Henson. hero of mine. A so hero I mean, of mine. Oh, my God. What was that? It's amazing if you go do, uh, if you go in New York to- The Creature do, Shop or what? The, no, if no. you go to do Fallon, oh. um, down the hall from Fallon, and it's been down the hall from, you know, when Letterman was there was yeah, when sure. I first saw it. The the very first Tonight Show was in that is in that stage, you know. I think that's where Steve Allen yeah. did wow. his show. Yeah, and Jim Henson, who was just a puppeteer, and it was way before the Muppets became yeah. what they became, was a guest on the Tonight Show, and in his dressing room, which they have since opened up on that floor, in his dressing room, they ripped off the wall, and Jim Henson, out of the pipes and the uh, the plumbing. He made Muppets. He drew what later what? became like Beaker and, and Kermit. And he drew all those there. And he's got it all. It's all Jim Henson's art. He goes, you know, he was waiting two hours or three hours to get on the show from the time he went in and rehearsed. Yeah, he couldn't shut that creativity off. On the pipes. And now they have that wall open. If you walk down the hall, they will show you. There's a plaque on it. I think it's part of the tour where you can see Jim Henson waiting, creating all that art. That's on just that, on real. T- just Scribbling in his downtime. Yes. And, 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 and it's brilliant. And, yeah, he was a genius. He right? was a genius. Yeah. So I went and did that. And then... Um, Wait, my, so did, uh, did he... I mean, how did you... You read for him and he, did he give you direction? Or did he... You just kind of did the voice and he was like, that's great? Or Yeah, and that was it. I got that. I don't remember that being such a, uh, a long process. Yeah. But he just thought that would be cool for Skeeter. And he, we had a read-through. I actually auditioned for somebody else, but then I, I met him at the first read-through of The Muppet Babies. And do they give you the... Because um, uh, I read for a lot of animation now, and that's like a dream of my... You know, now that I have nieces and stuff, all I want to do is be a voice of a cartoon. Right. And, uh, and you know, a lot of times you get the you know picture or a description of the yeah. character. Is that how it was? Or sometimes they yeah, just... Yeah, they give me a picture of the yeah. character. But Skeeter was already... A, this, is, this is Muppet Babies. Yeah, so Skeeter right. is already a character that... Existed, right? So now you scooter sister, yeah, that's right. Yeah, scooter sister. So now you just have to do the kid version of that. that. And I did animal because I had heard animals, Mm -hmm. and and I did beaker, you know, which is really high. No, be. If you don't listen to me, I'll make your soul disappear. He was a scientist. The that's right. Scientist with a lisp. Oh my god! <laughs> scientist with a lisp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who who? And then Beaker had like a buddy that Bunsen was Bunsen Honeydew, and he was the high pitched one. 
I, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Then, me, me, me. Like yes. that one, right? Okay. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I'm trying to get all my ducks in a row <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> Those are ducks. Those are puppets. <laughs> True. So anyway, I went, I did that show. And my friends um, who uh, were uh, Second City, uh, Jim Stahl and Jim Fisher. Yeah. yeah. Jim Stahl is uh, on Mork and Mindy. He played Mindy's brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or he was, I think he was even the mayor on Mork and Mindy. He was a good friend of mine, and I knew him from the comedy store. And uh, Fox was going to start their network. They started their network with Joan Rivers doing her late night show. Right. And they wanted to start a Saturday morning ch- Fox Children's Network. Mm-hmm. And they had a development deal because they're great writers. They wrote a bunch of movies. And if I had Google in front of me, I would figure out which movies they wrote. But they're Air really Bud good Seven. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Classics. We're talking about classics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, they, so they had a development deal, and, and uh, they had a development deal for Saturday morning for cartoons yeah. yeah, and they came to me and said we should do Bobby as a cartoon and I went how the fuck are you going to do this foul this yeah, foul mouthed little they said well no we use that voice but right. what if we and, and we just sat down and we said well they said there's got to be a million funny stories and then we thought Bobby generic which is just generic why don't we do this generic <laughs> four year old mm-hmm. who's you know I had babies at the time we had uh, we were all kids for a few years earlier <laughs> In our life, and <laughs> hope so. Said, Let's tell our real stories, and we mm. can do it through our imagination. And like what we it will become the, you know, it would be our fantasies. And yeah. So we pitched it, and they said okay. And then you know, I sat with a, I would sit there and talk like this, and this is Bobby, <laughs> and I'd sit there with an artist who would drew. He goes, "You think you look like this?" And I, no, I don't look like that. I got black hair. <laughs> and then they would do that, and he would draw. He That's drew amazing. it. Right? What a fun process! It, it, a real fun process. And who would think? That it would run for nine years. It would Jeez. be a precursor to like Rugrats. Yes. Yeah. The, the oh, you set the table. You were like the new kids on the block. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> children's cartoons. In, in right. TV Guide said it was his favorite Saturday morning cartoon. It ran for nine seasons in 60 countries. And Well, because like every children's show is always adults talking at the kids and kind of like, hey, we're going to do some fun stuff today. We're going to go over it. Like, right. It's talking at the kids. Bobby's world was, no, this is the kids' perspective. Yeah. This is, or just a real perspective. Yeah. I think they understand. You don't have to talk down to kids. Kids right. would like to think up to us. Sure. So we did what we thought was funny. We did our takes on pop culture. In fact, I'd love to relaunch it one day, and there's talk of that now. Ooh. And then... My friend who I worked with on Bobby's World and I had worked on another show called Laugh Tracks, which was a sketch comedy show with Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of people who went on to become pretty famous. Um, But Frank Welker was on it. And Frank Welker is the Mel Blanc of our time. Frank Welker is if you he's every character every cartoon character just every voice is every voice in every movie. They were doing gremlins. Mm hmm. And he brought me in to do to just meet because they needed a million voices. Sure. And uh, they showed me a picture of Gizmo. Yeah. And again, I just did the Skeeter voice. I did the Bobby voice because. <laughs> so yeah, I was gonna say like, how many you weren't were you at this level where you were in like the world of working voice people because of the success of Bobby's World? Is that did that at Bobby's World? I, I was never in the world of successful voice. I've never been hired for anything be, beyond. Uh, you know, I did Muppet Babies. Mm. And uh, Dave Coulier ended up taking my place. I kind of backed that because I was doing uh, a lot of stand-up. Yeah. yeah. And I had a series. And I started doing movies. So I backed out of the last... I think he did the last two seasons. Right. And he... Solid he, replacement. He my voices. Yeah. And then um, I did Bobby's World, which was just me, you know, right. doing Bobby and myself. 
and and then um, I did Gremlins. I'm Gizmo from Gremlins, yeah. which is the same. But I didn't. I've never done anything. And that else. job came because you knew Frank. Is that Frank Welker? Yeah, yeah. Who got me into that and Shit. introduced me to Joe? That Dante. stuff really pay, uh, plays a factor in all this. Yeah, like just relate having any sort of relationship. Yeah, it's you know this is you know it's funny because there's no better. Uh, power in this business and nepotism and you don't have to be related but <laughs> no. if you know somebody yeah it's just you know it's like it is like our gang you know all our friends well, get together and let's put on a show yeah and, and i love and, that camaraderie right and people want to work with fun people that they're used to working with so if, if if you show up on set one day and you're a great person to work with and you're easy to work with then they're going to want to hire you for the next thing or when they're going to think of you when they when when frank goes to gremlins and says oh we need we need, we well, need more got voices me the audition yeah and the audition was in burbank i'll never forget in a building you know the i guess was that's where they were doing casting not a show business building in fact on right. the floor where they were auditioning for the gremlins voiceover talent it was the same floor as a gynecologist's office <laughs> <laughs> and there were sounds. Co- I don't know which. That's one the office we're going to use when we cast Ghost Country. By the way, <laughs> Ghost Country. It's the, yeah, the gyno office. See? And ladies and gentlemen, this is the circle of life. <laughs> we go so, from cartoons to cunt. Yeah. I think we're going through from cartoons to cunt. That'd be new, your next book. Yeah. Can we move in. We're going to talk about D's. Dick. <laughs> we'll talk about Dick. It's going on the alphabet, man. Yeah, yeah. sure. Why not? Uh, all right. So then, uh, same thing with Gizmo. Do you? Is it a uh, where you get to kind of talk out? Maybe how you see, or do they give you a? No, the that puppet. was that movie was done and completed. Gotcha. I watched the oh, movie wow. and we had to, uh, for lack of a better term, lip sync yeah. to what was going okay. on. And so we would sit in a in a uh, you know a sound stage and watch the movie in a from a booth mm-hmm. and with a microphone. And you know, what do you think he's saying here? I mean, they knew what he was saying, but how do you think that would sound? Right. You know, did you ever feel like fucking with the voice and maybe not doing a sound, but maybe doing like a Hey, it's me, Gizmo, aka Tony Danza, or doing like a, and just putting some actual character to it. There was, there is like <laughs> some uh, real dialogue. I'm sure, I'm sure there's tapes. <laughs> we added things because uh, in the big crowd scenes, I I did Gizmo, and what was funny about Gizmo is it wasn't really you know besides saying things like which was uh, you know uh, yeah, right. take off on Light Bright, yep, you yeah, because. You know, uh, when it played, it became a huge international success and all over the world. They Incredible. wanted people to be able to relate to it. So they would bring me back in, you know, a month later uh, because we're doing it for Germany. And, you know, those. Gizmo in German? Right. So, or <laughs> Japanese. Yeah. So he had to sound like we would redo the movie, like my part in the movie, so that he would sound like so little German. <laughs> You know, like something sounds angry like, Gizmo. If you could only see how his face as he's doing German Gizmo you know, or Japanese. <laughs> you know, you had to make him a little. What about Jewish Gizmo? <laughs> I I, I love that when you were doing German Gizmo. Adam as a Jew still got still got a, li- a yeah, little fearful. I'm sweating a just little. a li- this like a it's cute and it's cuddly, but yeah. it's still that it, it's it's Scary. still that dialect. I, yes, yeah. I had a Gizmo doll. That's how you know how. I mean, did that- you have a Gizmo or a Furby? <laughs> Ooh, see, I'm. Do you know what I'm, Furby is? Yeah, yeah, I'm positive it was Gizmo. Yeah, yeah. The, Furby. There was. I think there was a big lawsuit. They asked me to do the voice of Furby. Really? They didn't. Well, because it's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. They 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 watched that and they, they said, oh, instead of brown and white, let's make them purple and ha- and have the eyes roll in the back of the head, and then we're good. And then we're good. Yeah, Was there ever the a time after thing. doing all these, like doing Gizmo and then Bobby? I mean, you're. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. They wouldn't like at the end of the show put your face up at the end. So like, were you kind of 
But I mean, you were out there with your stand-up, obviously, right? So like, you know, you were... really, I, my career has been so fractured in the sense that um, when I first started, one of the first things that got me national rec- recognition was make me laugh. That's where I mm-hmm. the first TV. I got, and then I got known as a stand-up comic, and right. I became an opening act for like Diana Ross and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Holy Jose shit. Yeah. And Billy like Ocean that. ever. Uh, <laughs> that's that's way that's kind of later. That's oh, yeah. way later. Oh, I didn't yeah, never right. open for Billy Ocean, right. but uh, well, <laughs> not with that attitude. <laughs> and then I got a, a young comedian special. Yes, on and HBO. That, yeah. ch- that was a game changer. And and on my young comedian special, it was me. Jerry Seinfeld, oh, Richard Lewis, Jeez. Harry Anderson, oh my God, and uh, Maureen Murphy. That was my young comedian special. What, what Mary Fuck lineup. Hill, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a great lineup. Yeah, yeah, and that that kind of so then people knew me as the insane manic comic, and then you know, uh, uh, and and I was touring and I was doing theaters, and then when I got Saint. Elsewhere, right? Which is a which is a drama. Which is a drama. Yeah, you know, medical you, drama. <laughs> yes, regardless, it's still a drama. Right, medical cop, whatever. I played yeah. Fiscus on Saint Elsewhere for six years. That audience was a very you know the people that would watch Saint Elsewhere they would stay up at ten o'clock on a weeknight to watch a very serious, well constructed, fabulously scripted drama with Denzel Washington and mm-hmm. uh, you know yeah. Norman Lloyd and great yeah. classic actors and me. We're not the people that were watching young comedian specials no. and goofiness. So I would get letters. All that's one before email. I would get letters saying I have a bet with my husband that you that Fiscus is not the same guy that puts the rubber glove on his head. <laughs> and You're depending like, on sorry. If, they would, if if they would split the money with me, I would say whatever they wanted. <laughs> so I did that. And then when I started Bobby's World, you know, young moms yeah. and dads who were watching cartoons with their kids. You know, I was in the live action opening and closings of it. Yeah, but right. those weren't the people that were watching dramas at night. They weren't the people that were watching stand up comedy. So when I would do a stand up comedy show, I'd get a, a, a bunch of moms sitting there with like three year olds. Oh, and, God. You know, because they said Howie Mandel and they knew Howie Mandel. Yeah. So my audience was really fractured. So there's people who are Bobby's World fans, there's people mm-hmm. who were saying Elsewhere fans and movie fans. I did a couple of movies in the early 80s. And then there were people who were stand up fans. Yeah. And they were very separate. And it took years and years and years and not until i did deal or no deal mm-hmm. that was the biggest widest swath of like everybody who kind of brings everyone that together brought everybody together where yeah. i had one fan base where they go oh you know you're howie mandel i know right and, and so, so so now you think when people come to see your shows they know w- what they're coming to see they're not coming absolutely to see absolutely not uh, yes r- really because still as as uh, somebody who is probably more widely known you know you hit more of a, an audience with agt as a mm-hmm. judge and they remember deal or no deal they think of me as this kind of clean cut host right and uh, but as a stand-up comic and that's something that i'll never stop doing yeah i'm not i still it's very improvisational it's very in the moment mm-hmm. it's not family friendly I love stand-up and will never give up stand-up because that is my one primal scream. Everything else I do, you know, there is a mark to hit, a line to recite, a commercial to throw to, a producer sponsor, in your ear, a producer telling yeah. you what to do. Yeah, and there are sponsors who don't want you to cross the line. And I feel like in stand-up comedy, it's about crossing the line. Yeah, it's about right. being free. It's about being... So, you know, if you think... And, and not that I'm... 
going to offend anybody. Not that I set out to personally, but I just want I love this free kind of spirit. You want you want you want the freedom where you're not going to be in your head when you're telling a joke thinking, "Ooh, that would be really funny, but then that sponsor might pull out of Though, you know, and I say that to you now. Mm-hmm. The truth is, I think our climate is changing. And it's really depressing the world of stand-up comedy now because because of the instant because of the social media social media the, the, the quick response for people to yeah, and right. quick response and and the and, amount of uh, you know uh, uninformed uh, blogs or sites that were that are not credited that in a, we're in an age too where people don't fact check so if it's posted on Facebook and a link that says like this comedian did this people immediately just go well it was posted on facebook so he must be a piece of shit for well, the, the 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 term social media bothers me because the mm-hmm. media used to be something that you had reverence for yeah, you know the right. media at least for us who go into media media is television yep. television reporting yeah it is journalism which is newspapers and that but now social media what is social media it's some guy in his underpants in his room <laughs> Writing what he thought he saw, right. and that could that little spark, that little Tinder can no pun intended with the Tinder, yeah, but right. that could that starts a fire, and we, yeah. we have no. And I, I harken back to what we talked about earlier. You know, I watched Richard Pryor try anything and everything to yeah. get that right, and the art of comedy is the art of free free speech and poking fun. And if you can't poke fun, if you can't throw a miscolor on your canvas and go, mm-hmm. oh, no, 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 I got to tone this back a little bit. Oh, I got to curb that. If you can't do that without somebody recording you right. and then taking what you say out of context and judging you and the possibility of you losing sponsorships and jobs and right, you yeah. know, whatever, yeah, it, it, it's a scarier it's, place. It, it, it's this thing where now, I mean, uh, I saw a great interview with the late, great uh, Patrice O'Neill, and he, and he said comedy is about having the freedom to fail to fail, right? We have we have to be able to go up and talk about topics that uh, are not traditionally funny, the darkest things ever. But we can kind of make that funny. But we need to be able to fail and a few times to find to finally get it right. Now, now you're up on stage and you and you look out and you see people who are smiling, but all but also their phones are up, and you're like, great, I, I can't. And like, then they'll show yeah. that little video to somebody. And they'll critique it based on like what was happening. A off of that small little video, uh, and then B, you know, they won't give it a f- their full attention. That's my problem with it too. And it's also like the people that will sit back and judge are people that would never. They don't even give any sort of um, uh, validity to the idea that somebody is get got to a point in their life and career where they will uh, be so fearless as to 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 try to bomb, you know, or to, to say something. It's like, they're but not even taking... I don't think most people have a sense of humor. You know, I, I did a book, <laughs> no, but they don't. I don't think... That is a sense. It's like, do most people have fashion sense? Do most people right. have, you know, or do they have the, uh, a good sense of... You know, it, the word sense is mm-hmm. what is key here. And for to be a comedian, to have a sense of humor isn't about, you know telling a joke the reason that i can tell you that most people don't have a sense of humor is the reason for the laugh track you know that is the industry's way of telling the audience that that was a joke laugh here laugh here yeah yes so so the point is and if you hear the rhythm of a joke we Mm kind of know the rhythm so we know to laugh at that but the people that construct jokes and have a sense of humor Mm -hmm. you and you Mm -hmm. that always comes out of darkness it's always got to come out of something that's not funny and I've, i've said this a million times you know comedy 
is not really it doesn't come from anything fun i mean even if you take a little kid to the circus and you see the clown fall down right you're laughing at somebody else's misfortune Sure. They found a way to make, and when two guys walk into a bar, something shitty has to happen to somebody. <laughs> yeah. For you to laugh. Yeah. Comedy can't be. Hey, uh, me and Adam went out to a bar. We had two drinks. We had a great conversation, and then we and then we got home safely. Yeah. yeah. If I was. Funny, if, okay. go ahead, go ahead. I was just with, uh, home in Seattle uh, with my two six-year-old twin nieces and my uh, two-year-old nephew, and I uh, will do a lot of puppet stuff with them because they're still at the age where they right. are all about it. And there's this chicken puppet that I have, and I was playing with my nephew and talking to him, and then with a crayon, he proceeded to beat the chicken mercilessly and my nieces started laughing and he started laughing and right. I'm like yeah this is funny to you guys but it's also animal cruelty it's also <laughs> fucking you're beating him with a crayon which is a new way to uh, you know you're just you're taking this you know artistic tool and turning it into a weapon but it's like that was they they don't they see there was as, a victim there yeah. but the truth of the matter is that is funny mm-hmm. and why is it funny because it's taboo well because the voice I was doing of the chicken was spot on it's also <laughs> it's also the trailer voice for ghost hunters okay. so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah but, but but the point is that that's funny yes. but you cannot have cruelty to animals you know people are so sensitive on TV or if you mm-hmm. say you did it's a joke. We're not killing a chicken. That's right. not a real chicken. Yeah. That's not a crap. But that wouldn't fly with sponsors and everything. Kids with a pure sense of humor know that it's funny. Why is it funny? Why are they? Because you're not supposed to do it. Taboo, mean, uh, hurtful, awkward. That's a great point. Embarrassing. They know that you're not supposed to do it. All the elements that makes great comedy. And even if you look at old time comedy, seltzer bottle in the face. Yeah. Pie to the face. Pie in the face. You're you're ruining somebody's clothes. You're ruining their time. You're ruining Mm -hmm. their party. If you take away all the Three Stooges. Three Stooges. Dude, blowing up the glove on your face. Right. But they're hitting each other. They're hurting each other. That (laughs) is comedy. Yeah. Now, the idea that a large group doesn't find it funny you know, I always, I always, I've talked about this too. When you go to amateur night mm-hmm. and you watch somebody bomb horribly, and you go, "Oh my God, why is that?" You know, who told him right. that he could get on the stage? The truth is, somebody did tell him. Yeah, mm-hmm. somebody laughed, and I think that the people like you and me and, and and all of us were really lucky that our sensibility, and that's all it is, that our sensibility is shared. By more than just Uncle Morty, yeah, or yeah. our friend, yeah. yeah. The fact that you're not doing anything on stage that you don't think is funny and you haven't found funny, but there are people that won't find it funny. You know, Absolutely. I'm always cognizant of the fact. I remember one of the greatest days of my, and this is how I think, one of the greatest days of my career was I sold out two shows at Radio City Music Hall. Holy Good shit! Lord. One night, yeah. You know, and it's probably seven thousand. Yeah, uh, seats at least. So it was fourteen thousand people in New York City, and I remember looking out the window in the corner of. Sixth Avenue and fourteen thousand people were there. You know, yeah. six thousand coming out, seven thousand coming in. That's an epic venue. I just saw Chappelle there last year, and it seems like the best for stand up. It's amazing. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was amazing. And my wife was. I was with my wife, and my wife was saying, "Isn't this amazing?" And my mind went to this, but this kind of speaks to it. Fourteen thousand people bought tickets to see me right. in a city of ten million. <laughs> yeah, you know, so so nine so nine million nine hundred eighty five thousand right. people decided there's something better to do than to see how Jesus it Christ, and man. that kind of speaks to the fact that you know the guy who gets on stage on amateur night and says all this crap right. that nobody's laughing at in the silence. He has an audience of one. The fact that right. I got up there and my nervous energy and I blew a glove up on my head, and mm-hmm. which many people would argue is not funny and is not even comedy, is nothing, was shared by enough of a mass that I could pay my rent. 
So we're just really lucky that some people share the same sensibility. It's yeah. like how many people like a song? How mm-hmm. many people like a painting? How many people like you putting these words in that order? Just, just yeah, just like any form of art. There's, uh, it, it's fascinating to me that if you go to Rotten Tomatoes and you go to the movie Goodfellas, which I which, which I think is one of the greatest movies one of all time, is there's it, it, it has a score of ninety nine percent, and you look and there's one critic. That just says, "Nah, this is horrible." The, fucking Goodfellas, the right. mo- one of the most perfect movies of all time. Someone is able to look at the same piece of art right. and, and just say, "Nah." And as a comic, you're right that that's going to happen where you're trying to just appeal to uh, have uh, people find it funny as many as you can. But there's relatability. A- you know, yeah. we're all human, and we all suffer from the exact same. You know, maybe for different reasons, anxieties and mm-hmm. pressures and things like that. And if we could just tickle that just poke that sure and that's what we look for just relatability and and the way to find that is within yourself you know if you are true to yourself comedically you know like what makes you laugh what you found really awkward hopefully there's somebody else out there another human being that mm-hmm. kind of relates and that makes you laugh when you the humor yep. comes from the darkest place how many yeah. times have you laughed at a funeral or, yeah yeah you know yeah because you're just and it's almost like the mind is craving it in, uh, in that moment. And one of my favorite things to do on stage is to make it very tense in the room, because then, because then the release is so much bigger. When when you have a moment where you stop talking for a second and then you listen, and the entire comedy club, or in your case, theater, is silent, you're like, ooh. I've got them. And they're listening, yeah. Yeah. They are. Like, I'm- well, silence is golden. It really is. No, but it is. <laughs> it is. I love it. Did I it take you a it. while to get to a point? I'm curious, too, like, at what point did Howie Mandel hone in on, on your sensibility and, 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 and uh, become aware that, oh, wow, there is, like, a mass of people that are, uh, have similar sensibilities as me? I'm still coming to, to grips with yeah. that. You know, the truth is, is that you're always trying to... Because you say like on these shows like Deal or No Deal or even AGT like that you know you're not maybe as free as you would be on stand up that's safe to say but you're still I still feel like I'm still seeing and even talking to you now I still feel like that's you are who you are on TV like I don't you feel are, like you are but you know what I found is to not get so inside it yeah even in comedy mm-hmm. and and just do it and then hope you know it's beyond you and I'll I'll give you the example of Deal or No Deal when Deal or No Deal was offered to me. I said no fucking way. I, they, Did I you got say a no call. deal? I got a call. What? No deal. <laughs> I got a call and they said that we want you to do a game show. And yeah. I said no. And you've got to put this in perspective. In 2005, um, you know, as a stand-up comedy, as a stand-up comic, the irony of being a, you know, that's a kind of a punchline yeah, to right. be a game show host. It, it, it's almost like kind of like being a cruise ship comic where it's like, where it's like, oh, you're a comic, but you do cruises and you must not be doing well. Or like, right. so, oh, so you're I a comic, you do, do a it. game show? I didn't want to do it. Yeah. They said, well, just can we, and they phoned me back and they said, can we pitch you the idea? NBC is going to give this a push like they've never given. Nobody has given five nights of primetime television right. on, on a network to this. This is the biggest format in the world you know america was like the last one on board this was all over yeah. europe over oh, oh really it was a huge hit yeah oh, shit. all over the world so that made you listen a little bit a little bit and i said no i just don't want to do a game show yeah. because i want to be mm-hmm. a comic i don't want to be this punchline i want to be you know i'll act I, yeah. I wasn't really acting at the time and they said will you just listen to the pitch yeah and i said okay i'll i'll hear the i'll hear the pitch 
and then saw it. I was at Jerry's in the in the valley. Nice. I don't leave the valley. That's why you guys. Are, <laughs> you love it out here. You know, I love it. I'm a valley. Hey man, any place that has pictures of you and Oprah, I will stay as long as you let us. It's <laughs> a lot of pictures. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. This is I, I got a warehouse. Of it's a great shot. There's Bobby dolls. There's I mean it's pretty. Look amazing. at that. Yeah. I want to show you. I'm pointing out things on a podcast. The uh, Howie don't Mandel take these show. Cart- no, don't take these oh, cards. Yeah. So when I first got my talk show. Uh-huh. It, it, there was a pile of cards. I, I asked to do my talk show on the set in NBC where Johnny Carson did his show. No mm-hmm. shit. Which is, became Jeez. later became Access Hollywood. So yeah. I was yeah. on, I put my desk where Johnny Carson put it oh and underneath the bleachers, which yeah. are still there, were these cards. And that is from his last, that's Johnny Carson's last show. That was the last Because it says Robin Williams, Bette Midler. Bette Midler. Yeah, and do not take these cards. And Bob was his cue card guy. That's the last cue card from... Oh the my God. Holy crap! Because uh, um, uh, Bette Midler sang one for my baby, yeah. one for my baby, one for the road. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's an so incredible. That's and that picture beside it that you see the Howie Mandel show that was that's that set. That's amazing. And right next to it, you have a a, a, po- a pre poster for Ghost Hunters. This is maybe <laughs> wow. they walk. Well, I'm always. <laughs> Always yeah, looking always ahead. Working, always looking ahead. <laughs> Howie, that's a that could legitimately be in like some sort of like Smithsonian. Yeah. That's an incredible piece of Hollywood history. You Absolutely. know, and that was my first show on the set, and they weren't big then. And if you look, well, they Jennifer Aniston was my right. first guest <laughs> on that bad. show, and she had just been she was dating Brad Pitt, and they told me not I can't mention Brad Pitt. That was the first show I can't. Well, the mention. first rule of of knowing who Brad Pitt is is don't <laughs> say his name. Right. We so can't I even say it three times on this like, podcast. What did you think of the river runs through it? Did you see that? <laughs> they got really mad at me. And that's Usher, who was not a big star then. No. This kid is going to be great. I right. See, I knew it. And, and then, then there's our Jay Leno. Jay Leno was across the hall, mm-hmm. and he, uh, he, he came to wish me luck on my first show. So that's, uh, th- this all is this thematic. Yeah. You Amazing. Know? Did you anyway. love, we'll, we'll get back to the deal or no deal story, but real quick, the, uh, did you love doing the talk show? I love doing it. Yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? It turned out not to be a great experience. I'll tell you why. Because they asked me to do a talk show. I was filling in for uh, Regis at the time. And they asked me to do a daytime talk show. And then in daytime, uh, I was so excited to do it. And I wanted to fuck around and be... Again, this goes back to being yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they made me dress in suits. They made me... Uh, I don't wear earrings now, but I was wearing earrings. But right. it's, it's indicative of, uh, you know them shaping you and th- th- it's always about this business it's always you're perfect now you're not no, gonna no, do this right. you can't say this you know we're gonna give you Jennifer Aniston but can't ask the question that about you're even, that anybody or yourself is interested in but be in. you be the, be the Howie that we love but don't uh, don't say Brad Pitt ever and don't uh, <laughs> right so yeah. in that and way this. it was I, it was not not mm-hmm. fun because I felt that's why I still love doing stand up because there isn't a you're not answering to anybody. I'm not answering to anybody. You and that's talk about Brad Pitt as and much that's as you why want. I wanted to get <laughs> off of Universal, yeah, lot and buy a, you know a shitty warehouse in the Valley where I could just come and do whatever it is that I. No do. one's that checking up on you. Nobody. And if we I have an idea, there's no studio tour going by. Yeah, we go. We you know we have our own equipment. We shoot things. I have edit bay. No one's saying do. hey, Doctor Oz needs this space. No. But no, like, like you're so fine. I can do whatever I want. I love this that. Is where I, so, so deal or no deal. Yeah. This is what I learned. So I, so I, you go to the pitch. They they go, hey, at least come. 
right? I'll to- show you that here, too. The guy shows up at the Jerry's. He says it's mm-hmm. the biggest thing in the world. I'll show you that on the wall. He brings – it looks like a special needs kid did a, an art project. <laughs> like, this is supposed to be the biggest format in the world. I'll show you it. It's, yeah. it's here. It's on, on the wall in the other room. Okay. He made an art card into, that he thought was – that looked like uh, suitcases, and he showed me the show. Yeah. After showing me the show, there's – I mean, this is pre-me seeing it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. You're right. That's not it. There's no talent. There's no skill. There's no nothing. It's, it, it's luck. An hour, it's averages. Go, open that's the it. case. Just that's my line. Open the case. Yeah. What number do you want? Oh, seven. All right. Open. Open number seven. Now. Okay. <laughs> what number do you want now? Four. Okay. Open number four. And an hour of that. Yeah. An hour of that. You're like, right. how am this I supposed to make that entertaining? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I go home and I tell my wife. She goes, listen. Why don't you want to do it? I said, it'll ruin my career. She goes, you were at Jerry's, and now you're home. That is your career. Take the fucking deal. So I go, God, right, bl- God bless your wife. Yeah, <laughs> she's the smartest one in our family. So I, got, I took the show. And I tell you, I wanted to quit. You know, I went there. Oh, and I said, this is another thing. This is so show business. So I said to the guy, because the guy's telling me, you know, we, the reason we called you three times, we can't do the show without you. You are so mm-hmm. perfect. You're the one for the show. Yeah. Not, we won't do the show if you don't do the show. It's Jesus. amazing. We've got to have you do the show. This is on a Friday. So when I called him, I said, well, do it. I go, when, when do you need me? He goes, well, we're shooting Monday. I go, you're shooting Monday. Well, don't you have to build a set? Don't you have to build a set? He goes, well, I yeah. have a set. We have the set built. Okay. I said, well, don't you need models? Oh, they're already hired. You're like, but Monday's Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the point is, how far down the list as my fucking name, if this thing's built and waiting? Right. Obviously, Just, like eight other people have quit. <laughs> yeah. So that starts to seep into your brain? A little bit. So then I say to myself, I call my comic friends, and I say to myself, this is how I'm going to handle it. The only reference I have to great comics that have done games in mm-hmm. the close... Uh, or my is um, uh, what's his name uh, Groucho Marx yeah did uh, na- the word name that uh, remember pa- he did- password no, no. Groucho Marx did a show where uh, the chicken came down I know what you're and- talking about I don't I- know I've just it, seen yeah. tape of it I never seen yeah. it before my time but yeah. Groucho Marx was a guy he was like a movie star he yeah. was a comic and yes. he had done a game and I know that Johnny Carson had done it this is like two generations prior to me sure. so I'm gonna hire a comic to write with me and I'm going to sit and they said I can have a comic so I had a comic awesome. who sat down with me and we were writing because I said how am I going to fill the fucking hour about opening <laughs> cases and right. this? was it a buddy of yours who was like um, just knew your voice or somebody who yeah, maybe had written for I shows with, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know and we're going to do this show and Anyway, Monday comes, and that's another picture. The, the, all these pictures are not just, it's not narcissism. They, they're, they're reasons, but I'll, I'll show you after. But Also, uh, you got to have stuff like this up to A, for podcasts, uh, but B. For podcasts? Yeah. There's no, uh, <laughs> well, to, to, to reference. camera. But also, yeah. like, how would, I mean, I feel like having this, uh, the career you've had and the body of work and the, as you said, even at the beginning of this uh, uh, podcast where you said it was like an accident, to see all this stuff and see the different, um, like the different worlds that you yeah, got into stages working, of your career. Why would you not want to be reminded of that? So, so here's the thing. So I, so I get to the set. I have this whole thing planned. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we open the show. Like the first show, I'm going to shoot six. All right? So we open. In one day? Uh, we're shooting one in the first okay. day. Yeah. But okay. I, I walk out and they go, you know, and there's this big dramatic opening where I start in the vault and I walk out and then, and then they go. And they only have to answer that one question, deal or no deal. <laughs> And I say that, and the audience roars, and you know, because they were told to. <laughs> and then I bring up the first contestant, and I'll never forget. I could tell you right, Karen Van was the wow. very first contestant. And I'm standing there, and this woman, 
beautiful young lady is standing there in front of me. And, you know, I've said, and you have to also realize, besides Who Wants to Be a Millionaire at that time, there's no other shows for a million dollar, a million right. dollar prize. Somehow today doesn't seem like a lot on TV because there's a lot of them. Yeah, but then but it was... That was it was big. Huge. Yeah. Huge. I think million dollars is still huge in people's minds, but a million dollar game show is right. something that we see a lot of. Yeah. But we didn't then. And I said to her, you have a chance to win a million dollars. And I'm standing five feet from this person. And I realize, oh, my God, this is a real person. And I interview her for a minute. And she <laughs> introduces me to her three kids. Right. And her husband. And she's never ha- owned a home. They're Whoa. paying rent. They have no health insurance. Shit gets and real very quick. That's exactly right. Shit yeah. gets real. And I figure, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's not about me being funny now. Yeah, I can get the best joke in the world. And I can sure. get the biggest laugh in the world. But this is a real person. and with She's not going to find it funny. And so if she doesn't. So my cadence yeah. changed. I said, I'm not yeah. going to. And I realized that when you watch people, people who don't know, people who aren't in television or in show business, there is something that happens to people when they, who, who regular people, when they're on a set, there's 20 cameras, there's 500 people. You could see a glaze yeah. go over her eyes. Like, oh my God, I'm in another fucker. You know, she you, wasn't from Hollywood. You can forget to breathe. Right. <laughs> and people will tell you that when they're on the stage. I'm sure if you go to a concert and, you're, and your biggest crush pulls you up on stage, you're going, oh, how? That's why like people faint. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, and I could see that there was a glaze in her eye just about being there and being given this opportunity. So my whole cadence changed. And and it was about, you know, I would say like there's an offer would come in and I would be really close to her and go, Karen, the offer is $200,000. SNL started making fun of me and my cadence and how I... <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Which was great. Yeah. But the reason, I'm telling you, the reason was I could see she was... And I wanted you to hear. And really what I was saying is take the fucking money. <laughs> you know, and they would, would they ever try to... Would the producers in your ear maybe yes, like, hey, how we don't... That, stop, stop. Because I would say things like... The you can now take two hundred thousand dollars, or you can still take a chance at a million dollars. Yeah, and you yeah. say that quick, yeah, and throw like, it away. Yeah, ch- or if we go can fucking blow it, yeah. or go for a guaranteed change your life. Right, get a house down payment. Thousand mean to you? Stop You've boy. never had that. Yeah. Right, or you can take a chance <laughs> at one million. A shot, a chance. chance, not guaranteed. Yeah. Chance, yeah. guaranteed. Chance. Chance. Yeah. You would be really mad at me for doing that. But what happened is, and I dropped up by the wayside all my ideas mm-hmm. for witticisms and being funny and making it about Howie Mandel. Well, because you started I, caring about these people. But what happened was, like comedy, yeah. my empathy, yeah. my empathy kind of, that I think part of the, you know, the relatability of that show was you played along, you were screaming at the TV. Yes. And I had more fame and more, I mean, people were offering me stand-up gigs and everything mm-hmm. that I was doing a lot more, a lot more than there's somebody, you hear that noise? <laughs> yes. So, yes. So, someone's making coffee. No, don't apologize. <laughs> so we got to start over. with Jesus. a Keurig machine <laughs> making <laughs> cappuccino. What are you making, Mike? Just a coffee. The sound you hear in the background is Mike Marks. He runs our uh, very astute executive producer. Wonderful. He's making coffee. That sound is not him peeing in the corner. That's what it sounds like. I just wanted to. But anyway, um, what I was saying was the uh, empathy that Mm -hmm. I ended up the (laughs) human. It's okay. We'll wait till he's finished. We'll wait till he's finished. (laughs) 
You think it's done? <laughs> these mics are good. I don't think they'll pick it up. Oh, you yeah. don't think yeah. they'll pick it up? No. Yeah. There's a lot of noise behind me. I asked the guy when I buy these mics at Guitar Center, I go, will we hear coffee made at Howie Mandel's porn studio? And he mm-hmm. goes, Howie does porn? <laughs> yeah, Ghost Country. <laughs> yeah. Softball lob. Hold on. I also have to tune my tambourine. One second. <laughs> One second. I have to do that. A whole quartet comes in. Yeah. Can my acapella group warm up here? <laughs> <laughs> the four tunesmen? I know there's going to be like a crushing splash and bang. <laughs> what? I have a, <laughs> and if you spill, don't worry. I'm going to bring in the wet dry vac. It's going to make no noise whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Call, call somebody else to help you. You need help? Uh, yeah. yeah. Kimmy! Kimmy! <laughs> He's having trouble with the coffee. He's, this guy behind us is trying to be so quiet. Yeah. I've never heard more, more noises come out of this. No. <laughs> Yeah, Mike. Bye. <laughs> Parties at Don Francisco's house okay. were less noise. But what I was saying was the um, I didn't know that, so I did the show. The amount of empathy you were saying I too. I threw out all my jokes because yeah. it's so important that this human, this real human being, sure. better her life, right. have an opportunity. My fear became that if I do a joke and I get a big laugh, and mm-hmm. at the you know she may. Focus on the laugh and not really focus on the fact that she get about to get two hundred thousand dollars. I don't want anybody. God yeah. forbid, the worst thing that could happen to me is somebody saying you were you, the joke. I didn't even think I had four more cases to open. Oh. You were doing so fun, and that killed me. That I could even did to that this happen day, once, and that's what no. Okay. But to this day, you know, the NBC, who I love and has supported me, has asked me to do that. Um, what's that? That show they do with all the games. Celebrity oh. game night. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Hollywood game night. With Hollywood Jane Lynch. game night. Jane Lynch. Lynch. And I won't do it. And they go, why won't you do it? And I said, because to go on television, I want to entertain. And mm-hmm. because you have a real person there that's on the team with the celebrities, if I did something and distracted, and even if they made $50 less, right. I would cry. Because it would be for me. I don't want to be. I'll go out and entertain somebody, and I'll act like a goofball, and I'll do anything you want. But I don't want to be responsible for somebody else. Nothing at risk. What? Yeah, you, you, you want to put. Risk. That's yeah. Cause so you're a what, great dude. So what happened on Deal or No Deal mm-hmm. is we did the show. It was about to air, and I, my wife, I said, I we got to leave the country. I went out. Of, I went to South America when it was going to air. Oh, I didn't want to be any place. I said it's terrible. Mm-hmm. They go, why? Because I was so inside it. I said, I don't think it's... I spent the whole time making sure people won money. I didn't do any jokes. Mm-hmm. I was not... I didn't do anything. You're known I for comedy. So, now you're not going to be... Is that what you're thinking? No, but or? I didn't know that it was... I didn't trust the format in itself. And most... Trust my, your instincts my, that you had... Well, I just did what Howie Mandel would do, mm-hmm. but not what a comedian would do, not what a, um, an actor would do. And that was a new thing for you to... Well, I just bared my soul. Yeah, that was yeah. just me. Yeah. But I was relating. You know, so, so I, I, get, I start getting tweets... Or tweets. I start getting emails. And the first night it aired, they go, this, we just broke a record at NBC. The next night it aired, Tuesday, we broke another record from the night before. The next night... And every... It went up... Yeah. And I flew back. I landed in Miami. I'll never forget it. I walk off the plane. Within, you can count to 10, somebody goes, hey, 
deal or no deal. And from that day forward, my life in That's this business has changed. It yeah. caught on. But it was something that in the moment, I was so serious and so worried that somebody, you know, would... Uh, be aff- not offended, but be distracted, and I, it was just about making sure they won money. I didn't want to be a game show host. Right. I didn't, but it taught me a lesson, you know, just to be real, mm-hmm. and just to be, you know, do what you do, and you can't control how other people respond. And in the same way in comedy, you can't control. Be real. Do what you think is the funniest fucking thing in the world. What is making you laugh? Right. If you're going into the toilet. Tell them you're in the toilet. Just <laughs> yeah. do that. You can't control the rest of the world. And what I learned from Deal or No Deal is from that time on, I've been so free just to be myself. It was such an eye-opening experience. You know, and those experiences are mirrored in other things. You know, uh, when I did Howard Stern once and accidentally admitted that I had mental health issues. Yeah, with you your, know, uh, with your OCD, OCD, yeah. With my OCD. That was an accident that you... Oh, yeah, he was fucking with me. He wanted me to open the door when somebody was in there playing with their cock and they had touched the door and he knew Mm -hmm. that I didn't want to touch germs. And finally I got an anxiety attack and I said, listen, this is real. And and that was years and years ago before people were very open about mental health issues. Sure. And I said, I'm fucked up. I go to a psychiatrist. You got to open the door. You got to I'm having a panic attack. I'm going to have a heart attack. And I thought I was devastated. I thought, you know, my career is over. Right. You're like, my great. Is it. This is the thing. But it kind of opened up to, you know, uh, I've told that story before, but I walked out in the street. I was going to run into traffic and somebody walked up to me and, and said, I just heard you on Stern. And I went, holy fuck, that's it. This is the beginning of the end. And, mm-hmm. and they went, me too. And I thought, oh, my wow. God, I'm not alone. And, yeah. But all this speaks to comedy and it speaks to whatever we do. If you we're all humans, mm-hmm. we all have a cross to bear. And if you if you just are true to yourself with if you think it's funny and even if it's tasteless, if you think it's you know, if you want to go on stage, you got to try, right? Yeah, you got to try. But back to how this started, Mm -hmm. our society as is, is not allowing us. And it's a shame because, you know, young people are out there fighting a war for freedom and democracy. And our biggest freedom is freedom of speech. And when we have to be concerned about what we're saying or poking a chicken with a crayon, then <laughs> that's not really freedom. No, it's not. And uh, shit, do yeah. You, do you? Uh, how often do you? Um, you? Uh, your son does a vlog, right? Yeah. Is it? Uh, do you? I mean, share these sentiments with him as he's? Um, you know. Well, my right? biggest fear, and and I do. I do. You know, I want him to be free. I want him to be artistic. I want I think everybody's creative. I think everybody's an artist. I think it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a comedian. You don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to have a vlog. Mm -hmm. You're an artist in what you do. You know, you got to find a new way, maybe find a way that feels better for you like it's never been done before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I and and we all our world lives in fear of what other people will think. So this is a dichotomy because I don't I want you to be fearless, you know, and I want and I tell my kids to be fearless, go for it, do it. Mm-hmm. Just find something you're really passionate about. You know, and I don't care if that's a fucking waiter. You know, yeah. just do it and be the best fucking waiter you can be and look forward to get up in the morning and just go and do it. But by the same token, this is a very scary world in the sense that you are an open book to everybody, whether you're vlogging or not. You're, yeah. You know, you walk into a urinal, the next guy's next to you has got an iPhone. So you're not, he could capture whatever he wants to capture. Sure. Nothing, we're, it's not, there's no private time anymore. And how is that information processed? So 
I, I want to warn them or educate them, but not scare them. But I want him to. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's fascinating. You say you don't even have to be a comedian. I mean, there's that story of a of a uh, businesswoman who is uh, flying to Africa. She's not she's not a comedian. She's not an actress. She's not in the public eye. She goes on her Twitter and she goes, "Hey, flying to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS, but but I'm not be- because I'm white." Send. By the time she lands in Africa, this has been retweeted. Somebody comes up to her and goes, "Deal or no?" <laughs> <laughs> but this has been retweeted hundreds of thousands of times. Yeah. There's a hashtag like when Andrea lands. Holy shit. Like and when she 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 lands to find out that she's fired, that her uh, fiance has left her. And just like all this because she hit send and she's not an entertainer. It just caught on and was like, oh, how insensitive that the, that this person has, has said this thing. So it, it, it to, 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 uh, so to elaborate on your point, it is scary and not, and not just for people that put themselves out there every day, but then for people that don't like you, anything that you do now could be completely blown out of proportion. Well, right. I'm, I'm curious. Everybody is so that, Everybody becomes part of the media. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious too. Like, just how cautious now with the success, you know, deal, no deal, and then now AGT, which I don't know if you can even compare the two as far as what they've done, um, you know, um, show wise and for your career. But I'm assuming, I mean, that's it. Seems like it's just as powerful and popular. It is. What's amazing to me, and nobody's more thankful, blessed, and surprised than I am, that you know, today. I can walk outside and somebody knows my name or has seen something I do because you know when I came in this business in the in the mid seventies, um, you know, or I got to do the Johnny Carson show, my my life changed the next day. But there was three networks, and if you did TV, we knew everybody on TV. You know, mm-hmm. you knew. Do you know who Donnie Most is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So my point is that's a third tiered actor on a sitcom. That's a third tiered. It's not the star of the sitcom. It's right. a guy on a sitcom. I will ask you now, who name three actors on CSI, which is a number one sitcom? Can you? Uh, Ted Danson? Is he still no, on there? So, but you don't know him from the but, but stars. Oh, oh, oh um, um, okay, here's the point. The point the, is you've got to go um, yeah. um, okay? Right, yeah. That's a number one show, and people don't know. Ask me the cast of Designing Women. I'll give you the whole cast <laughs> from top to bottom. So the point is that right now, the average home has 600 stations. Yeah. yeah. They have internet. They have live streaming. They have gaming that they can do. They can play games on it. So just the fact that somebody knows you, that wants to show up, that sees you, and is phenomenal to me. So the fact that I'm on a TV show now that, yeah. you know, 10, 12 million people tune into. Yeah. Uh, nobody's luckier than I am. The fact that I'm my age and still, you know, a lot of the comics that I started out with, you know, I could give those that you probably know because you guys are in comedy, but those are names of people that were great that people don't even know. People right. like Tim Thomerson. Do you know who he is? No. I you don't know? Can't say that I do. No. Oh, well, he, one of the best improvisational comics there ever was you know jeff wow. altman yes yes yeah. same of the comedy yeah. store yeah. yeah but i'm saying he but he was great right he and you see and, guys like that and you're like why aren't they more but they were on the tonight show right. people knew their name and they were given shows and uh you know and and then the, you know you have your time. some people it happens and some people just uh, right i mean it but just, it happens and goes away yeah. you know careers mm-hmm. are come back and flows yeah. and here i am sitting here after all these years and at this particular moment, I'm on something that people know. And any time I'm on 
on something that people know and I can have a good time. I wouldn't have even, even dreamed that that was a job, what I'm doing now on AGT. <laughs> Right. You, know, you could be on a talent show, but just to sit there, I always want people to laugh and smile. Yeah. And now I'm sitting there watching a show that I'd be watching alone at home in my underpants anyway. <laughs> this, this, now I'm there. Commenting the way you would comment. comment. That was yeah. good. That was yeah. good. That doesn't seem like a job. Yeah. Do you think it is? I, I, the the two moments I'm curious too big is you'd say just to be lucky to have that job, but like uh, also to be uh, like when you um, Drew Lynch, who's a uh, uh, you know comedian, and that whole moment. I mean, that seemed like it was pretty. Um, awesome, you know, to be um, witness to, just as good as I think it is to watch on TV, but even to be there live. It's way better when you're in the room for any oh, of this. Oh, my yeah. God. To be there when somebody's uh, dreams are unfolding in front of you, mm-hmm. you know, you know what this means to somebody. A similar right? energy you know, to Deal or No Deal when you're with them and the money's at stake, right? You're seeing these people on stage. Well, with and their- the money. You know, you open up the, the, the four times in five years and 500 episodes that I opened up that case that they had, that they remained with, and there was a yeah. million dollars. It happened four times? Four times in wow. 500 shows. And and uh, when I opened up that case and that person is standing there, their life was never going to be the – I had such a small part. I mean, that was luck, right? Yeah. Such a small – but just to be there and witness in the room that energy, that electricity. I mean, if you're sitting in a room by yourself doing work at a desk and somebody's in the doorway mm-hmm. watching you, a family member – you know, you get a sense that somebody's watching you or somebody's in the room. I think humanity gives sure. off an, you know, kind of some, an electricity. Some sort of energy there that you kind of, yeah. So our energy in life changes, goes ups and, uh, up and down. You, and, and this sounds much more spiritual than I even mean it to be. But when you're in the room and up close to somebody whose life is changing, exploding, every right. dream is coming true. When you're in a room with somebody like Drew Lynch, and for those that didn't watch the show, he was a guy who got into an accident and he... Softball hit him in the throat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and now he stutters, so it, um, being able to express himself is harder, and he's chosen the path of stand-up comedy, which is all about communication, Right, and he killed it. He crushed it. That audience was standing. That audience was screaming. The tears were rolling out of his eyes, and I got to press the golden buzzer to send yeah, them all amazing. the way to the... Oh. To the uh, Radio City Music Hall, just to be a small p- witness to it was enough. Yeah. Then to be, I, I would have been happy to be in the audience. Sure. And people told me, you know, I could see on social network what it yeah. was like to watch it. It is amazing, and it feels like a privilege. Well, and and re- whether you go to Deal or No Deal or America's Got Talent, you've got to witness, like you say, how many times can you s- in s- someone's life can a moment happen? And you go, okay, my life was one way until this moment. And then from here on out, it's going to be a completely different thing. Maybe, you know, when, you're, you know when your what? kids I are think, born, yes. when you get, uh, when, when you get a, a, a crazy new promotion or a new job, or, a, what, 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 or in your case, when you give a, someone a suitcase full of money, a contract to appear, a development deal, they win a competition, you're there. For that moment where right. nothing is ever going to be the same again. Usually, those kind of life changing moments, as you just pointed out, yeah. are usually private. And in, yes. you know, the, my most life changing moments, my two most life changing moments, positive and negative, were the birth of my children sure. and the loss of my father. Yeah. You know, both of those weren't you know, for public consumption. So the fact that I'm part of something that is, I believe, equally as life changing for these people, mm-hmm. at least in the context of what they're doing and in their sure. lives, to be there 
is amazing. Yeah. And that's why it makes for good television, and that's why they it's you real. Know, they broadcast it. Yeah. And uh, do you have some sort of special soft spot for the comics that come on? Yeah. That- you know, it's not even a special soft spot. It's a knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the knowledge is this, and you both know this as comedians. You know, we are given the short end of the stick. Sure. We really are. Yeah. Because people do not understand. They just think you're funny guys, you know? Yeah. There you are, and you're just going up and talking. And it's, right. you know, Jerry Seinfeld, he once, I saw him win an award, and uh, he said it best. He really did. He did this whole uh, dissertation on, and I'm not going to do this justice, justice but I'll, sure. I'll tell you it's Jerry. They gave him an award for uh, comedy achievement. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it's funny because as a, Co- a comic, we don't really get accolades and awards. You know, no. even Johnny Carson, who propo- you know supposedly you know celebrated comedy, you had to be waved over to come sit down. But yeah, Donnie would- Most would come out and sit down and talk about how he got into character, or a singer mm-hmm. would come out and sing a song that they didn't write, right, right. that they're just singing, and then they'd sit down on the couch. But a comic, you know, and even the clowns in the circus are coming at the end and they clean yeah. up and they yeah. use this filler in between the. You yeah. have to be act- wa- you have to be waved over. But he said, it's very funny, in our business, you know, uh, the people that get awards and the most important night of show business is the Academy Awards, right. which gives awards to people who act. And think about the actor. Mm-hmm. So an actor will get up and he'll usually be, he or she will be driven to wherever they have to go. Mm-hmm. And where they have to go, somebody will dress them. They'll help them get dressed. They'll comb their hair. They'll put makeup on them. And then they'll be sent into a room. And in that room, they'll put a piece of tape on the floor. And they say, what I need you to do is when I tell you to go, I need you to walk in and, and stop at that piece of tape. Mm-hmm. Okay? And when you get to that piece of tape, then they give them a script. And they go, I need you to say Say the ghost words. is inside that vagina. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, but I need you to say these words. Yes. Right. So they walk in. And they stop at the tape and they say these words and the director goes, cut, and I'll try it again. That wasn't good. You mm-hmm. know, the, and then they do it again and then they do it again and then they do it again and they do it again so that the, the director can get like a really good angle. And then they go take that into an edit bay and they cut it and they put music under it. And you watch the guy go to the tape, not say any word he was going to say. And yeah. they go, fucking brilliant. That guy's brilliant. A comedian. Mm-hmm. A comedian writes his own material, creates his own character, does his own performances with nobody he's self-directed. Because that's sure. the order in and, which he wants to deliver it. Yep. And has to elicit from a group of strangers a response every 30 seconds. Not an easy response. On, not just a pattern. On the first take. Yes. You can't, you one, can't be like, yeah. you know what? I, that's it. I, I didn't say that joke right. Let, let me try that again. They go, that was funny. Yeah. But the thing about <laughs> it is, you know, it's very funny because even when the comedians are hosting all these award shows, they go, yeah. ah, he didn't do such a good job. Yeah. Yeah. You see so-and-so's dress. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, oh, my God. And, 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 you're you know, so right. And ultimately, right. ultimately, you know, the, I remember one. Seth MacFarlane. And wasn't funny, but Gwyneth, did you see? But Gwyneth, Gwyneth. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But we say they're brilliant, and yeah. in the Academy Awards, people get up and they, if they're going to make they're, a political statement, and they go, "That is so that you don't do that at that night. This is a very pious right. night. This room is filled with people who pretend for a living, and they're brave. Oh, the bravery, Howie, and brilliant. They're and so we'll brave, take, and we'll take political uh, direction <laughs> from these people who pretend, yeah. right? But comics are nothing, and uh, so my empathy is. I understand what goes into it. Yeah. I'm not making more of myself, but it's just harder to do sure. to elicit laughter and to maintain a career in comedy than it is. You've got to be lucky as an actor to get the part. And you, I'm not taking away from there is a talent mm-hmm. in pretending, but there's, a loss, there's also a lot of help right. that a uh, comic doesn't have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe somebody will take this statement out of context. 
<laughs> how, he don't, doesn't think actors are how, how, how he says F you, Gwyneth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's what he, is that why you still do? Because uh, Rich was just telling us you have uh, about 100 dates still a, a year. I'll never stop doing that. No matter what I do, I do uh, like a, at least 100 tour dates a year. Mm-hmm. I think if I'm going to be on television, if I'm going to make television, I produce, I write. Yeah. I you did our buddy Theo's show, uh, uh, Deal With It, which is so yeah. good. Thank Deal you. Long, good yeah. Hours, yeah. yeah. But, but I think for me to have the sensibility, even as a comedian or somebody who does television, I think you lose it living here in L.A. and New York and just being behind the scenes of this is not the real world. No, right. So to stand in front of an audience in Iowa, in Oklahoma, in mm-hmm. Illinois, in where the world is real, and even through their sensibility of their sense of humor, you kind of get a sense of what people are responding to. A thousand yeah. percent. And, and yeah. you look at a lot of TV that's on now, the reason the networks are going into the toilet is I don't think they're speaking to the average people, the people that we have to speak to as comics who get on a stage in front no. of those people. Somebody right. told me that Adam Sandler, uh, somebody asked him, like, why do you make you know, movies like Grown Ups and all these? He's like, I make movies movies for um, middle America because that's who goes to see them he's absolutely right and that's why he's successful and that's yeah. why he deserves to be successful yeah. right that, that's, um, I, I did want to touch yeah I did want to touch very briefly on a your book because uh, we both read it yeah. and uh, my dad uh, my dad has OCD right and uh, so we've talked to Mark Summers on this podcast and we talked to him about the OCD and uh, and it, it, to me it's the, the, the most fascinating part about meeting with meeting with someone with that condition is that they all know it's crazy, but they can't help it. Like they but can't. That's, the, that's yeah. why it's a debilitating. Right. If you didn't know it, and it was just you know the way you acted, and if it, you know, the fact that it seems like you're out of control, you're controlling, you're obsessing, and you mm-hmm. possibly have to do things, and whether it's rituals or thoughts or you know, my cleanliness or whatever it is, the fact that intellectually you know that this is not right, that it really doesn't matter, is what kills you and creates anxiety, you know? And I just wish, you know, it's something that I continually struggle with. As I talk to you, I'm medicated and I seek a lot of help for it. And Mm -hmm. it's hard, Mm -hmm. but everybody's got a hard time and it's just about coping skills, you know? But there's been so many times when I've been caught in the... uh, the wheel of hell mm-hmm. of trying to get out of sure. some sort of uh, skipping it, record. Well, and and my biggest question to you then is, how does someone with OCD and ADHD sit down to write a book? Because <laughs> that seems like something that you well, that you was need. One of the hardest things I I had done. Yeah, I, it took over a year, and I had a uh, an editor and a co-author with me. Mm-hmm. Um, what was his name? Rich. The co- who was traveling with me? Who was his name's on the book? Anyway, we're going to get his name. Is it here, the book? No. (laughs) That's what I... All right. So anyway, he he traveled with me, and like you're doing right now, we sat down and talked, and he always recorded. Okay. So he just kind of, you know, it is my voice, it is my words, Mm -hmm. but I had somebody curating and putting it in... That seems like the way to do it. Yeah. Especially for a comic. Yeah, because we... Talk. He was on the road with me. Yeah, it's awesome. So off the, you know, in, in, in the hotels or at lunch, it took a year mm-hmm. of just recording everything I said and then just transcribing that. How many times would you go through and, and maybe um, just read the whole thing and be like, oh yeah, this is? I think you transcribed this. Well, he would transcribe, you know, like uh, what we talked about last night. Yeah, and uh, I'd go, you know what? That shouldn't be. What's his name? Josh Young. Josh Young. 
There we go. Yeah, it's so Don't he, Touch Me. You can get it, uh, I guess, and, I mean, the audiobook is what I uh, listened to, which was Yeah, uh, the audiobook's fantastic. on iTunes, the book's on Amazon. You can go to aboutlastnightpodcast.com, click on the Amazon banner, and then order Howie's book. There it is. And then uh, go see him when he uh, when Howie he Mandel.com is that uh, where all your dates are? I came up with that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Howie, just, just, ha- just having this conversation w- with you has been so great because... A, uh, you're an immensely talented guy, funny guy who I saw do stand-up a few weeks ago, and I had never seen you actually do stand-up before. Right. And that was so great to see you, because I know you from Bobby's World. I know you from Merrick's Got Talent. I, I, I know you from the game show. I, even though I know you're a comic, I don't know you. I've never seen your comedy. So to see you be funny and still just... Kill that audience! You had a great set that night. I don't remember how the set went. I know that when when I saw you, I, we were at mm-hmm. the Laugh Factory. I was writing. We were going to do. Yes. I was going to be hosting one of the galas at uh, just for laughs for the CW. I think that's going to air, and mm-hmm. so I had to uh, find material. So I went yeah. from club to club to club doing that, and that's where we met. It's yeah. great that you still. Rich was even saying when you guys were up in I, I somewhere in Canada where you would be having coffee, and then you would pop in at well, a club. A comedy club. Just... I just like to. That's where I write. Yeah, you know, that's how I write. Because you're doing big theaters and stuff when you're touring, yeah. Right, but I but writing, I really don't know. You know what tells me if something's funny? I mean, mm-hmm. I think something's funny, but if I hear the noise of haha, then I know it's funny. Yeah. yeah. So even if I have an idea, I gotta get in front of people mm-hmm. to do it. So I look for after a theater if I'm not tired and there's a club around, I'll drop in on the. It's club. a different energy, right? In the it's comedy club versus. I love it. Yeah. I love I love the intimacy of being right there and seeing somebody's face and. And just the immediacy, yeah, yeah, you know, it's great. I mean, and just seeing the broad, the broad spectrum of your career, whether it be game show host, whether it be hidden camera stuff, whether it be children's television, whether it be whether it be stand up, it's really cool to see how many things you've been involved in, and like we said before, how how many fans. How that that broad spectrum of fans that you have, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what. Ghost Hunters does for you because <laughs> I think the next level. I think next level. I think it could really take you to that next level, and I'm really and I'm really hopeful that it, that that will happen for we you. We didn't even you absolutely get, deserve it. We didn't even get get to get in. And maybe we can do this next time. But like the prank aspect of your life, and I know it's a big thing. But right. I want to maybe just ask this question: the um, clearly Oprah is a a pal of yours. No, no, <laughs> that was me. It's, see that another highlight. That was me. She when Deal or No Deal took off, she wanted to play it. So we went out to Chicago. We did it on her show, on the Oprah show. That's oh my me God. playing Deal or No Deal with Oprah. Holy crap. Yeah. That's how big it got. It got huge. It how, huge. How much money does Oprah have to win for her to get excited? She was doing it for a charity. Oh, okay. Now, here's a yeah. question. <laughs> See, those are all the, the, the other things. There, uh, I don't know if the, the next picture over is me. That's me in a line. I'm the second one with the shiny shirt. That's the 80s. I hosted <laughs> Expo 86, the World Fair, on the same shelf as the Oprah picture. That, that's Charles and Die. I did oh, a show no. with Charles and Die for Charles and Die. Wow, how was that? Cool. Were you who nervous? This idiot kid, you know, <laughs> who really doesn't do much. You know, is that how you still think of it when you think of this stuff? Yeah. Like when you see his pictures, my, my, you're like, my wife and I every day. I never dreamed I'd live in California. I never dreamed I'd be in show business. <laughs> From that amateur night at Yuck Yucks, there I am with Charles and Die. There I am with yeah. Oprah. There I am on the the point of these pictures is that was a, the set of the Tonight Show. Johnny Carson was iconic in my house. You know, everybody watched The Tonight Show. That was the show. And that's, you know, I got his cards. You know, everything kind of 
you know, Bobby's World right there. You see the Bobby's World thing? Yeah. That's the Happy Meal. We were the biggest oh, seller. that's right, I dude. was a Bobby's wow. World Happy Meal. In one week, they told me they gave out, we set a record, 40 million toys. So 40 million little, this thing where I sat yeah. in the room and I told you where the guy's going, I'm going, hey, this is what he sounds like. And they're going, yeah. does he look like this? That was in every McDonald's. McDonald's was the biggest thing. That picture right behind you, that is Karen Van. I just looked at it. Yeah. That's the first episode, the first time I walked in stage, right here, the bottom one. Yep. And that's where I'm, I'm just staring into her eyes going, I, I got to throw out all my fucking jokes. Now, not to, <laughs> not to knock you down a peg, but 40 million kids did buy those toys, but, you know... Billions more didn't buy those toys, Howie. And that's <laughs> me. Yeah. Welcome to me. I know that. That goes unsaid. Yeah. Howie, uh, uh, thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, this was thank so you, man. fun. So, that's the show. Thanks for tuning in. We had laughs and stories. Now go listen to more episodes on iTunes or your phone. Subscribe and tell your family and everyone. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. Boy, they're a lot of fun, huh? Why don't you subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast, give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.